you have a well, this program might be of interest to you. I'm joined this morning by Dr. Mark Higgins, research specialist with the Yukon Department of Geosciences. Talk about research he's doing that has found some arsenic that may be in wells in eastern Connecticut. Mark, good morning. Thanks for joining me for today. This is really interesting stuff, especially out here in rural eastern Connecticut where there were a lot of orchards back in the day. And what's the role orchards play in perhaps residual arsenic in people's wells? Good morning, Wayne. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, So, you know, arsenic has become more of a known issue in um, Connecticut wells lately because um, they've just been testing for it more. And they previously didn't require that you have to test it, and most people didn't and weren't aware that they should. And the U.S. Department of Health, or the Connecticut Department of Health has been doing a good job at raising awareness and trying to increase the, the number of people that are testing their wells in certain areas. But the issue that we looked into was the historic um, farming practices on orchards in Connecticut where they used to spray lead arsenate, which is a pesticide on trees, you know, three to six times a year. And that was pretty standard practice in the early 19th or the early 20th century. They did that till about the 1950s when DDT served to be a better pesticide and it kind of fell out of style. But for for up until recently, they kind of, it's been generally assumed that the arsenic is immobile in the soil, but, there's still high levels of arsenic and lead in a lot of former orchard soils. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your well is going to be contaminated if you live you know, near one of those orchards, but it can, depending on the local conditions. And so efforts have historically been focused on treatment and identifying which where wells are contaminated, but we really decided to look at potential sources. So we studied uh, you know, a number of areas in Connecticut and had a few hundred well samples over the years. Dr. Meredith Metcalf at Eastern um, has been a huge advocate and and, uh, starter of this research going on 10 years now um, with a a lot of help from the Department of Public Health. She's she's personally gone out and sampled, you know, four or five hundred domestic private wells in the last 10 years. And, um, we just looked into a spatial relationship between contaminated wells and proximity to orchards. And what we found was that the wells that were contaminated tended to be uh, much closer to historic orchards than the wells that weren't. So Now, if I have arsenic in my well and I'm drinking that water on a daily basis, cooking with and the like, what effect will that have on my health, my body, my family? Well, so so the the I don't want to scare everyone and sound the alarm, but the 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 good thing is that the the average well that's contaminated is you know pretty close, typically relatively low and barely contaminated above the EPA standard, uh, and these standards are set so that you know it, it, you'll probably have health issues if you drink that water regularly over the course of many years. So it's not something that's going to make you sick tomorrow. But um, as you said, you know, if you're drinking that, you don't know about it. What are the potential health issues? You know, it's a, it's a carcinogen and there's other, um, there's, there's some links or suggestions to, to, you know, brain some, some mental deterioration later in life. 
This arsenic-based pesticide we're talking about, they were widely used until the 1950s. So in other words, it's been 60-some years since it was used. How does it stay alive? Why is it still there? Well, the, it binds to the soil. So soil chemistry, it, it, it essentially was you know, mixed with water, sprayed on trees, dripped into the soil, and most of it stayed immobile because it just bound up the soil. But different types of soil around the state and different local water conditions, um, depending on where you live or your elevation or, you know, whatever is around in, in a particular area can cause the arsenic to be more or less mobile. I'm really interested in your study, Mark, and one of the things that comes to mind is that what was it that connected the dots with you regarding wells on property where there once were orchards, or maybe still are orchards? Um, that that's I think Meredith Metcalf gets most of the credit for that one, and and Gary Robbins. Um, I I got into this about five years ago when I went back to UConn to to get a PhD, and they had already been doing this work, but they hadn't really jumped into the orchard part of it. That that was an idea they had floating around, so I kind of took that and ran with it. And the more we looked, you know, the more leads we had as far as suggestions that there is some sort of correlation, and then we were able to get more and more funding to to do more work, look more into it. Mark, tell me about the radio program sponsored by the Food and Drug Administration and the jingle that they played on that radio program. (laughs) I I do believe that uh, Elena Hancock talked about that. I, I actually can't remember what that was. But. All right, that might have been not your department, but I can kind of fill in the gaps here. They had a jingle in that radio program in the 1930s that said, A is for arsenic, lead if you please, protector of apples against arch enemies. So the point is, back in the 30s, they were encouraging people to use this arsenic-based product. <laughs> Nowadays, it's, it's a no-no. It's amazing how the times have changed in less than 100 years. It, it is pretty amazing to look at some of these past, yeah, like you said, a radio jingle or news articles, news ads from, from 50, 60 years ago, um, where could, could you imagine if they were encouraging you to spray lead and arsenic on your fruits before you, uh, before you ate them? Well, back then, I guess people weren't aware of the inherent dangers with that. Let me turn the clock ahead a bit, and if there are people with wells, what do you recommend they do? How do you test a well, and if it comes up positive for arsenic sample, then what do you do? Is that well no longer viable? Is there something you can do to continue to use it? It's it's very common for people to have in-home treatment systems, and there's options for all sorts of different contaminants, uh, depending on what, what those are. But arsenic is not typically tested for. The, the average or standard test that most people would run that the Department of Public Health designed many years ago, and they're trying to change, actually, um, does not include arsenic. So when you buy a house or drill a well, they'll, they'll, that's typically the most common time that people test their water, and, and arsenic's not included, so you don't know whether you have it in your well or not. But it's not the end of the world either, because there's plenty of available treatment options, and depending on your water quality and the, the type of arsenic that's in your well, because there's different species of arsenic, uh, you would choose your treatment options based on that. And it's, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but it's, it's, it's 
you know, it's a solution and it's a long-term solution and it's not excessively expensive to get in-home treatment systems. Is it a requirement to test your well for arsenic in Connecticut, including when you buy a house or sell a house? No, it's not. It's not a requirement. It's highly recommended by the Department of Public Health, especially more and more over the last decade as, as more people have been testing for it. And there are efforts to try to change you know, what's required when you buy a house or drill a well, but those things take a lot of time. Mark, how unique is this study you're doing? I hadn't heard of other people doing it. Is this like a first of its kind nationwide to find this connection? I'm, I don't know if it's a first of its kind nationwide, but it's it's definitely uh, one of the larger studies where people are looking at uh, a large area with arsenic in mind, or I'm sorry, with uh, pesticides in mind, historic pesticides in mind as a potential source. Uh, most people that have looked into this look at it more on a, a local scale of one area. Is there, there was an orchard. Are these wells contaminated from the orchard? But we looked at it on a much larger scale because there's a lot of natural sources too. And most studies typically assume um, it's most likely to be natural and that's the end of the and your work is not over. The work continues. So what is next on the horizon? Just a wider base of information, more studying? Gary Robbins and Meredith Metcalf, I know they just uh, acquired a bit more funding to, to really look into Western Connecticut. Um, the town of Weston is one of the, has among the highest rates of arsenic in wells, and, and they're expanding on this study there. I hope to get more involved with that as as they're getting more funding. Um, so they're going to be working with a lot of the local sanitarians and hopefully property owners that can allow them to do more boots-on-the-ground work as far as collecting soil samples and having a better, understand of, better understanding of, uh, you know, why is arsenic more mobile in these areas versus others? And, and is the orchard actually a source or not? Um, we didn't determine that it was. We just found a relationship. So we, you'd really have to look deeper into it and get much more uh, thorough samples of soils and water from the same area. You finished your Ph.D. in geosciences at UConn last year, and you've worked in the environmental industry as a hydrogeologist for over a decade. What does a hydrogeologist do? Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's a fancy way to say that I, I study how water flows through the ground. So what I've done, uh, I've always focused on contaminant migration and, you know, what, are there spills? I've done, a, most of my work has been in industrial areas. So industrial contaminants like solvents and working to figure out what the sources are and how to clean it up. And I got a lot more involved with domestic well issues out of Yukon, uh, which I've, I've really enjoyed working with. And you're currently a hydrogeologist with Haley and Aldrich, an environmental and geotechnical engineering firm. What other projects with them are you working on now? Um, I've 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 had a nice variety of projects, but it's it's been mostly um, contaminants from industrial sites, former or former industrial sites. So you know, solvent, chlorinated solvents. Large, much larger spills that are higher profile that are a lot more toxic than things like arsenic. Um, so, the 
I, I'm not working with domestic well issues so much like I was at UConn, but ultimately that's, that's where a lot of these projects end up. Are there, are there uh, any drinking water wells nearby these sites where there are historic spills? And, and obviously that's, a, that's always a concern. What's the effect on the water table and perhaps the arsenic level in water of phosphate-containing fertilizers? So that was another, there are a a number of smaller studies that have looked into things that might mobilize arsenic. Because the the idea going into this uh, that I, in the literature that I read for my PhD in arsenic was that most people assumed the pesticide arsenic was immobile because it's still there 60 years later. It hasn't gone deeper and, and so on. But there's a lot more recent studies that are looking into things that can remobilize arsenic that wasn't mobile. And some of those things are you know, phosphate-contained fertilizers, tilling of soils, redevelopment of land. And what we're finding is that the areas that I focused on were where there used to be orchards and now this old farmland was re- redeveloped in the last 20, 30 years into uh, residential communities. Mark, are these incidents of arsenic in wells limited to wells? Do they have an effect on lakes, rivers, streams, other bodies of water? I think the, the bigger effect is probably the concern, I would say, is if you, if you live in these areas and don't know about the history, there's you know, there's higher chances of contacting the soil in the summer if you're kicking it up and, and you know, people are playing in these areas. Or uh, if you're growing vegetables in, in these soils, uh, some, some areas that we found, we found really, really high rates in the soils themselves. And it's just that there's not an awareness because people aren't testing soils either. And let's wrap things up again by just letting people know what they should be aware of and what they should do if they do test and find arsenic in their wells. What's the next step? So the the next step is, well, the first step is to test your water um, and perhaps look into asking for additional things to test for that include arsenic. And then the, if you do have it, then wherever you get your water tested, whether, whether it's a, a lab or Department of Public Health, they will have plenty of resources for you to look into treatment options, which are widely available and they are easy to get implemented into your house if you have a well. The Yukon Home and Garden Center has a lot of great resources for the general public, including soil testing. Can you get a water test, a well water test there? Uh I know there are some we've we've played around with some of the at home arsenic tests. Those aren't nearly as as reliable or as uh, effective as sending your water into a lab. Well, Mark, really good information today, especially with the folks around here that have wells on land that used to be orchards. Dr. Mark Higgins, research specialist with the Yukon Department of Geosciences, thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you, Wayne, for having me. I appreciate it. 14 WILI Willimantic at 95.3 FM.